Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. church for any amount of time you've heard somewhat something similar to this message because I feel like the church needs to hear it I feel like believers need to hear it and it deals with righteousness and we've been if you if you've been here and you've been coming you've recognized that we've been speaking um, on righteousness a lot a lot and I want to continue to to speak on righteousness if you're taking notes go ahead and write this down there on your notes this is the title of today's message it's titled Right standing, right standing. Go ahead and and write that down, right standing. And you'll see what I mean by that, and you'll see where we're going with that, right standing, right standing. As I was thinking about this, I started to think about my own personal life, many conversations I've had with others. Um, Maybe even some of you guys came to my mind. And I started to think about the righteousness of God, about standing before God and us standing before him and in right standing, with right standing. And, and you know, I started to, to ponder on this because I, I, I understand that there are plenty of individuals in this journey of faith, in this journey in following Christ, that they arrive to a place where, where they feel that they are in wrong standing with God. They, they get to a place in their walk or in a place in their life like, I, I just don't feel right. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like things... Are good. I'm, I'm in wrong standing before God. They're in. I need you to pay attention to every single word because every single word is important, especially in a sentence like this. They're in Christ. They're in Christ, but yet they feel they're in wrong standing. Hopefully, that hits you and says that doesn't sound right. That you could be in Christ and yet be in wrong standing. And, and many individuals go through that, where, where they're in Christ but feel they're in wrong standing. And you know what causes that? And what can cause that? It could be, it could be many things. It, it, could be, it could be condemnation because people fill themselves with condemnation. And because of condemnation, they feel they're in constant wrong standing before God. Condemnation does that to you. This is not a message necessarily on condemnation, but real quick, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but what? In him and through him that this world can be what? It could be saved. I didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. So we know right off the teaching of scripture that, no, condemnation is not something that God's like, oh, cool, let me just drip some condemnation in you. But yet, it's very easy to feel condemnation in our lives while we're following Christ. Maybe some of you could testify of that and know exactly what I'm talking about. It could be misinformation. You just have this misinformation that's been given to you and, and you just feel like, oh, man, any little thing or every little thing that I do, I'm just in wrong standing with God. And, and misinformation could, yes, also lead to condemnation and so on and so forth. It could also be wrong theology, just wrong theology in the sense of where, where you're just like, oh, my gosh, everything, I'm just, I'm totally wrong always. And, and, and we don't understand what the righteousness of God is. Or, or we could be truthfully speaking here today and say, well, one way that we could be led to this place is because of unrepentant sin in our lives. That's obvious. There could be this continual, habitual sin that we're not dealing with. Well, of course, you're going to feel like you're in the wrong standing with God because you need to deal with sin. How many of you agree that you need to deal with sin? You need to get, and, and, and a great way to start off by dealing with it is I got to come before God and give it to him. I, I mean, I, I think that's the best place to start. But yeah, we got to confront sin. We got to deal with sin. But to the believer that is very important, in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. Christ. To the believer that is in Christ, we must see scripture for what it says. We must see scripture for what it says. If we're in Christ, what does the word of God show us? What does the word of God teach us? And it's very important that we get this, that our wrongs are made right through faith in Christ Jesus. How many of you have your wrongs been made right through Christ, in Christ? <laughs> Listen, my whole life was wrong. But I will tell you this. I stand right now before God. 
Does not mean I'm perfect. Does not mean I do everything right. Doesn't mean that I live a correct life. It does not mean that you should put a picture of me and put some fruits around it and say prayers to me. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I was wrong. I lived wrong. I was lost. I was in darkness. But through Christ now, I have right standing in Christ Jesus. He made my wrongs right. Scripture shows me that. Scripture teaches me that. And not only does Scripture show me and teach me, but the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord living inside of me has caused me to experience that as well. That's, that's, that's powerful. That, that's, yeah, that not only do I know it, but man, I've experienced that thing which I know. And it's that I'm right before God. Because of what? Oh, there's only one reason. Because we are what? Because I am what? We are in Christ. That's it. We are in Christ. And in Christ, there is no wrong. In Christ, there is no wrong. He makes things right. And we learn that at this point, we, we, learn, the, the, we learn words and theological words. And, and now things have been imputed to us like his righteousness. The righteousness of God has been imputed to us. Another word that we could use has been credited to us. That's, that's, that's good. I believe in that. I believe that his righteousness has been imputed. His righteousness has been credited to me. And, and, and what an honor that is. What an honor that is. And, 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 and we believe that, that his qualities now, Christ's qualities have been credited to me, to you, if you are in Christ. If not, we can't believe in scripture that we are being transformed into his image. If we're being transformed into his image, we are being credited into his righteousness. We are being what? credited into his goodness the fruit of the spirit becomes alive in us if you are being transformed into his image do we believe that and we learn that we learn that that christ's qualities are imputed are, are credited to us what did we learn or what did we say last week we spoke about romans 4 and in romans 4 chapter 3 we said abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. He believed and righteousness was credited to him, imputed to him. That our true faith in God has been credited, has been credited to us for righteousness. His righteousness unto me. And that is our thought, that is our belief, that is our stance, that is our theology in this. Listen, that he has assigned, or a better word I could say is ascribed value to us and even in us. Listen, there was once no value, but when I met Christ, he began to establish value in this wretched man. There's people getting baptized. Hopefully you know some of them personally. And hopefully you can confront them and see them eye to eye. And if they're taking that step of baptism is because something spiritual, something internally has started to give them different value. And you've seen that there's a different value and there's a different system and there's a different, I don't know if I should say different, there's a truth now that they're operating in, living in, confessing. Are you guys with me? Amen. <clears throat> that this value that I'm talking about is his righteousness today is what, the topic I'm speaking of. This value is his righteousness. And it's a righteousness in which allows us to share in the same qualities of Jesus Christ. Maybe the day we see him face to face in honor and glory, we stand before his glorious throne. That's the day we're like, whoa, that's what, like, that's a, that's a humbling statement. That's a jaw-dropping statement. That, that the, the value of his righteousness in me now, it allows me, all these values, that he, this value that he's given me in him, I share the same qualities as Jesus. How many times have we gone over in this church things like this? We are co-seated with Christ in heavenly, like co-seated. He longs for us to sit with him and reign in these places with him. Powerful, powerful truths and great value he's given the believer. And, and we should be very aware of this if you're taking notes. We should be aware. Here it is. That we are not worthy in. We're not worthy in or in any of all this stuff that we're talking about righteousness. We're not worthy in or of any of all this stuff that, that we could even think, oh, you know what, I might deserve something. You know, none of this stuff am I worthy of or worthy in. But yet in all of this, I find worth in. I find worth for myself. 
Though I'm not worthy of none of this, yet in all of this I find worth. And and what a mind-blowing statement that is. And it's humbling because then we become what we spoke about a month ago. 2 Corinthians 5.21. We spoke about this a month ago. And it's what? For he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, in him. So, So, again... I'm not worthy in any of this or of any of this, but yet in all of this, I find my worth. And, it, and I'm humbled and I'm in awe because now I get what Paul is saying, that in Christ Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering, is what scripture is teaching there. Some passages you'll see like the word propitiation. He is that substitute offering. When it should have been you and I on the cross, but the substitute came in as our propitiation. To be the offering of our sin so that we could be made what? Right with God through the lamb that is on the cross. I'm I'm made right because there was a lamb that took the cross. And then it was confirmed right because the lamb resurrected. In Christ, I want us to understand this as I was sharing at the close of worship. There is a constant, or better said, a faithful place of victory in Christ. Where even our worst days, and and in our worst days, we could still encounter, and thank you for singing that today, that we could still encounter his amazing grace. Did you hear that? On your worst day. Think about what your worst day can be. Don't... Don't sin in it, not in your mind. But on your worst day in Christ, you could experience his amazing grace. There's still a grace on your worst day. What, what a beautiful thing. And, and, and we find ourselves always because of in Christ in the right standing before God. So let's live, let's live persevering in his quality in which was credited to us righteousness. Which allows us to be in right standing before God. That in Christ, you can never be in wrong standing in Christ. Hopefully we all agree with that. In Christ, we can never be in wrong standing. In Christ. There is no way. It does not. Nothing makes. It does not, not make any sense. You can't. If it's in Christ, there is never a wrong standing before God. As a matter of fact, he's the mediator. As a matter of fact, he stands in the middle, and he is, man, we, I'm sorry for being so repetitive, but, but, but your name is mentioned in eternity. Your name is mentioned in glory. Your name is mentioned in the throne room, and one day you will stand before the great judge, and your name will be spoken of. When you can't get a word out, you'll hear a voice like thunder that will speak, and you'll look, and it's Christ, your Messiah, who stands for you and causes you and looks at you and says, he's in right standing, Father, because he's in me. She's in me. That's powerful. When I can't get a word out because of the glory that is before me, there's one who stands for me and says, he's in right standing. You were in Christ. You were in my son. Welcome. Good job. All right. I want us to remember this, and let's remember this. Number one, I'll give you two things today. Maybe it'll develop into more, but... Maybe we'll stay on two today. Number one, let's remember this. If you have fallen, forgiveness has not run out. Maybe you're here today and they invited you and you're a family member, you're a friend, you're a guest. I saw a few hands go up. Maybe you haven't been here in a while. Maybe you're a member here. And you feel like, well, I, I need forgiveness and I need grace like you're saying and, and I don't feel any kind of righteousness. I feel like I'm in wrong standing. I think as we aim towards this righteousness, I want you to understand so you can have your mind right that in any state that we have, been, that we have fallen, there is still a forgiveness that has not run out on us or for us. I believe that. I believe this because there is forgiveness, and in this forgiveness, right, there is this righteousness also that could be given to us. It's this righteousness that is for us because what I want to say is this, that there is a cross and there is also a resurrection. There is a forgiveness and there is also a righteousness. I believe in the cross and I believe in the resurrection. I want, to share, I want to share some passages just to kind of get your, your mind going here. 
I think about Jesus, right, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded preaching of Jesus, teaching of Jesus. And he's on the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's teaching, he teaches a lot of, about a lot of things. One of the famous things is the Beatitudes. And he talks about not judging. He talks about money. He talks about so many things on the Sermon on the Mount. And in one of these segments of his teaching, he specifically is sharing about not judging others. And we see that in his teaching, he is showing us something. He's showing us the heart of the Father, and he's showing us kingdom truths. This is a truth in the kingdom that maybe you're not operating living in here on, here on earth. But if you are of the kingdom, this is the truth. This is the heart of the... It's like when, it's like when the, the kids were getting kicked out by the disciples. Don't bother him. He's, he's with older people. And all the disciples were like telling the parents, get your kids in order here. Get your household in order and get your kids out of here because Jesus is busy and Jesus hears this. And said, like, don't you ever deny a child to come to me for my kingdom is made of such. He is actually right there making a statement of what his kingdom is like. Kingdom truths, okay. And, and in this passage, he's doing that. And in, we, we find a few of them. I'm just going to skim through them. In Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like this. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Amen. There's truth. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's depth in all these things. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, he says this to his followers. Jesus again speaking. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Re rebuke him, correct him, teach him. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, then you shall forgive him those seven times. What are you seeing there? The heart of God. What does that mean? His forgiveness does not run out on you. That's good because, yeah, but he's done it three times already. I mean, we have... We have earthly proverbs, you know what I'm saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, fool me five and six and seven and eight times. It has to continue to be, I forgive you, I forgive you. I, I mean, kingdom truths, the heart of the Father. And Jesus is teaching that to his followers here. He, he's telling them if they continue it seven times, and seven times you see it's true repentance, will you continue to forgive them? How about the, the, the a very popular one was Peter's listening to these teachings. So he comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, I got, I got to ask you a question. And, and Peter asks, well, how many times should I forgive a brother who continues to sin against me, you know? He, he was hoping that Jesus was like, oh, cut his head off. Because, you know, Peter's gets swords and cuts people's ears off because he misses the neck and all that. But I don't know, just get even. And Peter was hoping, like, oh, no, you could just walk away from him. You could just walk away. So Peter asked, like, oh, man, I, Lord, a brother keeps sinning. A brother keeps doing me harm. How many times do I forgive him? Come on. It's got to be the number of completion, right? It's seven times. It's seven, right? It's seven and Jesus, like, Jesus just smiles at him. You could just see it, right? He just smiles at him. I'm guessing now. It doesn't say that in the scripture. But Jesus says to him, I do not say up to you seven times. Where would you get that number from? I didn't say seven times, but 70 times seven. And do you, I think Peter was like that. Judas, for sure, the numbers guy, he was doing it in the background. But he started calculating. He started calculating. Oh, Okay. I'll tally mark it. No, but, but Jesus saying 70 times 7 didn't actually mean, Peter, count down your times that you forgive. What Jesus was showing Peter and what Jesus was teaching the masses, it was, he was teaching them something deeper. And I need you guys to understand this. And here it is, ready? That our forgiveness is boundless because his forgiveness is boundless. If the character of Christ is to forgive, then the character of his beloved is to Forgive. His child, his children forgive because father forgives. 
And, and that's, I want you to know the heart of the Father. I want you to know the sounds of the kingdom. How many times do I forget? Seven times, right? No, 70 times seven. That sounds like an eternity. Yes, exactly. It's boundless. You keep forgiving if it comes from a place of true repentance. It's beautiful. Many of you have to go back from here and start forgiving. With love, with respect, with honor. Because you're a human being and I get some real serious things have happened to you not forgive and have hatred and have a lot of stuff in your heart. And you might need counseling. You might need help. You might need to have healthy conversations. But it does not mean that you have the right to keep on forgiveness in your heart. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. But it does not mean that you have the right to keep on forgiveness in your heart. You know what, you know what scripture freaks me out? When he says, if you can't forgive on earth. What makes you think that you could stand before the Father one day and you will be forgiven? That stuff messes me up. So there's like an inventory check. <laughs> Who do I have to forgive? Who do I have to forgive? Amen. Our forgiveness is boundless because his forgiveness is boundless. Listen, Calvary, his blood, and resurrection still speak today. If you think those are stories of 2,000 plus years ago, you're wrong. Those are stories of yesterday, today, and forevermore. Calvary, everyone say Calvary. Blood and resurrection. All that still speaks today. Thank you for allowing that to still speak today. But did you see it? Did you see that we also forgive because he forgives? Did you see that his righteousness is our righteousness? Did you see that? His righteousness is our righteousness. On earth, before friends, before family, before each other, before anyone, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right standing. Say it. Right standing. Forgiveness has not run out. All these things, it speaks of his love, right? We're not even touching love, but all this is, is founded in love. Number two, so what's number one? If you fall in forgiveness is what? Has not run out. Number two, two points today. You guys are lucky. I didn't do five points, seven points, eight points, three points, two points. Two points. You are right. Oh, this is a good one. This is my favorite one. You are right where he wants you. If you're in Christ, you are right where he wants you. But I made a mistake, but I failed. But, I, but if you're in Christ, it's something that he has not seen. You are right where he wants you. I believe that. I believe that. I, I, I can't go into every single biblical character because I, I believe this, that the truth is we will, we will find something in every person that is mentioned in the Bible. That they were right where he wanted them. Like Gideon in the wine press. He was right where God wanted him that day. We could go all over. Moses by that bush. He was right where he wanted him that day. Are you with me? I mean, we could go Bible character after Bible character. They were right. This is good. They were right where he wanted them. They were right where he needed them. And they were right where he had them. That third one is so different than the other two. Because it's different when God needs me there and God wants me there. But then he looks at me and says, I've always had you even there. You mean you were with me there? Yeah. I was in fire. And if you would have looked, I was dancing in the fire. Like those are like Shad, Mesach, Abednego. These guys, these three Hebrews that were thrown to the furnace, they were exactly where God needed them wanted them, and he had them there. I could go strips, I could go character by character. It's powerful. So, so Zacchaeus, oh, he was on a tree, and he says, let me go on this tree, and as he's on that tree, Jesus is walking, and who does he run into? Uh, to that tree, and he looks up, he says, get down, buddy. Today I go to your house. Not only is your life going to be transformed, but your whole family will be transformed and be saved. I could say Zacchaeus on that tree where it was exactly where he needed to be. Yes or no? I think about the criminal, <laughs> the criminal on the cross. 
and I don't, no, I don't mean to be like disrespectful or nothing like that, but what a perfect day to be executed. I mean, he could have missed it by a day. He could have missed it by a week. But thank God that he wanted me to die on the day that my Savior was going to die next to me. And all I have to say is, hey, remember me. And he said, yeah, today we're going to get the party going. What a perfect day for God to choose that man's death. He was exactly where he needed to be, where he wanted him to be, and God had him there because on the place of his death, he was going to receive eternal life. Oh, on the cross, on your death, when you felt that everything was failing you, when you thought that life couldn't get any worse, at the worst point of your life on that cross, I am going to impute righteousness in my son. I'm going to give you the guy that's standing next to you on that cross, the guy that's getting nailed and he's screaming like you're screaming. I'm going to drip his righteousness on you. Thank God that he had me here. Thank God that he needed me here. And thank God that he held me here. What a great day. What a great day. If Jesus didn't die that day, that man would have gone to hell. Yeah, he would have. But he didn't. Oh, man, I, I want to keep preaching on that. Maybe I should preach that stuff tomorrow, next Sunday. I think about Peter. Peter denies Jesus. Not once, not twice. And in Miami, that stuff is, that strikes home. Not once, not one, not two. Three times. Three times. I mean, three times in one moment. But if you remember, Jesus looked at him one day and even called him Satan. <laughs> I'm just talking about one moment three times, but I'm not talking about three times in his life. I'm talking about Peter three times in one moment. You had your chance one time, come on, second time comes, you had your chance. And within minutes, he denies him three times in one moment. In one moment, not in his lifetime, but in one moment. In one moment. But then, well, let's just read this passage real quick. It's Luke 22, verse 60. When he denies him for a third time, it says immediately while he was still speaking, Peter was denied. I don't know that man. Stop comparing me to one of his disciples. Do I look like a Jesus freak? Immediately while he was still speaking from his mouth, that he doesn't know Jesus, the rooster began to sing. And it says here, verse 61, and the Lord turned, because the Lord was present in the courtyard by Caiaphas' house, and we were there when we went to Israel. And, and the Lord looks at him, and as he looks at Peter, he makes eye contact with Peter. He's and he could almost feel as that eye contact is, is piercing to his soul. And the Lord turns, he looks at Peter, and it says that Peter remembers the word of the Lord when the Lord told him before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But I love verse 62. Verse 62 says, Peter went out and he wept Bitterly. Peter, that was messed up. You denied him three times. But I, I, I beg to differ. How about if I tell you this? Peter was right where he needed him. <laughs> right where he wanted him. And right where he had him. I believe that. Because Jesus spoke into his, Jesus spoke into Peter's life more than any of his disciples, I think. Uh, Satan has asked me to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you that when you are strengthened from it, you will come back and strengthen your brother. And Peter's like, wait, how about we just pray like it doesn't happen? <laughs> no, you're going to be, you're going to be shaken by the enemy, but you're going to be right where I need you. You're going to be right where I want you. And you're going to be right where I have you. So when you're shaken by the enemy, now you're made different. And now you come back and you strengthen the ones that never made it from the shaking. You know how many people in our lives have been shaken and have never come back? Forget church. Have never come back to the Lord. And how many of us have been shaken and we're still with the Lord? Well, we go back to the ones that have been shaken and we say, I share something in common with you. I must strengthen you the way I've been strengthened by God. 
Peter was exactly where he needed to be, where God wanted him to be. And in that place, it was exactly where God had him. I'm going to tell you something very important, that he wept bitterly, as scripture says. He wept bitterly. And you might say, well, of course he wept bitterly. Jesus just stared at him eye to eye. He's probably filled with condemnation. He's probably filled with guilt. He's probably filled with misinformation. Um, um, He's probably filled with all these different things that you and I have one time experienced probably. Or maybe some of you are experiencing right now in your spiritual walk. Peter is going through it, but he weeps bitterly. But I tell you right now that that wept bitterly is an amazing place for Peter because that weeping bitterly he'll never forget what that bitterly weeping meant or means to him you want to know why because you need to study it in the Greek to really understand what weeping bitterly meant for Peter and if you study that passage correctly it means this he was with pain and he was with grief if you want to say this in English the way the Greek maybe said it in their translation it would be this he was filled with deep sorrow I want you to understand this because it wasn't this. It wasn't that, that, oh, I just feel bad about the situation. Peter didn't just feel bad about the situation. When the rooster crowed the third time and he saw Jesus' eyes, he was filled with sorrow for what had happened. You know what I believe? I believe that this was the place of repentance in Peter's heart. He didn't just feel bad about the situation. Here it is. He was moved with deep grief and with deep sorrow. Totally different than just like, oh, that sucks. I just feel bad about it. No. God doesn't want you just to feel bad. Actually, I'm going to switch that. Can I say, God doesn't want you at all ever to feel bad. God wants you to repent and experience his goodness through your wrong. Why? In Christ, righteousness can be imputed. Hmm. In John 21, post-resurrection. In John 21, post-resurrection. Post-resurrection, Jesus already resurrected. He shows up to over 500 people. Many historians who are not Christians speak about this risen Jesus who was showing up to people. People that never came to confess and believe in Jesus still testify that this man became alive again after, the res- after his death and burial. There was a man called Jesus who f- was walking around resurrected. And we hear stories about it in the Bible and we read stories about it from historians. Post-resurrection, Jesus comes in. He walks by the sea and guess who he sees? Fishing again on his boat. He becomes a fisher of fish when he was calling his life was to let go of the net and become a fisher of men. Who is it? None other than Peter. Peter is fishing again on the boats that he once gave up, on the, on the seas that he once gave up, on the seas that he gave up for Christ. You know how many, come on, let's be just very honest and transparent and loving here today. Many people get radically touched by God, but moments pass and then they go back to the sin that once engulfed and snared up their life. And God comes back and says, why did you go back to that? Why did you go back to the boat? Why did you pick up the net? Why did, I'm not saying that fishing is a sin. <laughs> Do not take that stuff out of context. Take me fishing with you. I'll go. You can teach me. But what I'm trying to say is it represents something. So Jesus comes and he comes up to him and, 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 and we see this whole encounter and he finds him fishing again and he restores him back to his ministry by asking Peter one question, one question three times. Peter gave one statement three times to deny him. Jesus gives one question three times to restore him. And he says what three times? And listen, in a, listen, Jesus doesn't just tell Peter, I love you, three times in the span of his life. Are you with me? Jesus doesn't tell Peter, I love you, in the, in, three times in the span of his life. But I will tell you that Jesus in this moment tells Peter in a moment, in just one moment of his life, three times, I love you. Just like Peter doesn't just um, fall back and, and turn his back on Jesus in his life three times, the span of his life three times. But in a moment of Peter's life, he rejected him three times. And in a moment of his life, Jesus asks him a question three times. And the question is very simple. Peter, I have your attention now. Do you love me? What is Peter's reply? Lord, you know I do. Good. I won't give you the answer yet. Right? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. By the third time, Peter was a little agitated. Lord, you know that I love you. And what does the Lord tell Peter every single time that Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. The Lord takes him back to the calling. The Lord takes him back to that which was placed on his heart. The Lord takes him back to that thing which is of most importance. Here it is. Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Here it is. Tend and feed my sheep. Stop fishing. Go. Feed and tend my sheep. That's what you were called to. How many of you know that's what you were called to? Come, seriously, stop for a moment. Pause. Evaluate. Examine your life. How many of you know that Jesus is looking at you and he loves you and he's pointing at a whole other thing for your life? And he's like, what are you doing? And, and the, 
And the obedience to get to where you're at, to get to where he's calling you, it might be acts of love. It might be a love transformation that happens within you. So he needs to ask you, do you love me? Because if you love me, then you'd be doing what I'm telling you to do. Because the greatest show of love is obedience. Yeah, it's biblical. Jesus loved us so much. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And what does Jesus do? Out of his love for humanity and out of his love for the Father, send me, I'll obey it. One of the greatest demonstrations of love is, well, then walk in obedience in this. You You can't live in a household with someone that you declare you love, but then you choose to live your life of disobedience. Because then what you're saying with your mouth is not being acted out with your life. If you say you love him, if you say you love her, if you say you love them, if they say they love you, then there is one great demonstration that is showed from your life. You walk in obedience to that person which you love. So, so here it is. Peter, do you love me? I believe this one question answers a lot. Are you guys learning today? Sometimes I feel like I don't know if they're learning. But I believe that this one question answers a lot. Do you love me? I want to I stop for a moment because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. That I too have shared something in common with many of you where I feel that I have failed, where I feel I have acted immaturely, I've acted in immaturity, or even where I feel maybe I've hit rock bottom in certain personal things in my life. I could share something in common with you. And then I ask myself at that place where I feel there's immaturity, where I feel I've hit rock bottom, or where I feel I have failed. I ask myself, and this is just me, I'm being transparent here, trying not to get distracted, Just try to focus as we get ready to close this off. But this is what I ask myself. How do I preach now from this place? Because I got to go on Sunday and I got to share, though I feel like the biggest failure in my life. How do I go and preach now? How, How does that happen? How do I lead from this place when the last thing I want to do is lead because all I want to do is crawl? All I want to do is hide. All I want to do is run from that which I've been called to. How do I lead from that place? How do I stand before God, which is the most important out of all the things I've said? How do I stand before God from this place where I feel like a failure? How do I stand before God from this place? Where I've quickly set my mind to think that, oh man, I'm in the wrong standing before God. I'm in the wrong standing before God. But then I recognize that he's before me and he's reassuring me and it happens with one question. And he looks into my heart and he says, Regal, want to take a guess what he says? Do you love me? Well, Lord, you know I do. Then keep going. Tend and feed my sheep. I believe that that question might be it. Do you love me, Lord? You know I do. You know I do good. Good. Because now you're in the right. What do you mean, Lord? What do you mean I'm in the right? Now you are right where I want you. You are right where I need you. Listen. But never forget this. You are right where I have you. Do you understand that some of my greatest personal failures some of my greatest personal failures that I'm out of them I recognize that's exactly where he had me why would God have you at such a place why would he have Peter at such a place that he is weeping with bitterness with sorrow and with grief what do you think genuine repentance this is what I think greater transformation I needed you here so that in this place I could greater and better I could finally fully whatever you want to call it whatever adjective whatever you want to put there transform you into my likeness I could transform you into my image 
So I needed you there. I wanted you there. And I had you there. So you could be transformed into my likeness, into my image there. What a beautiful truth. So what does he tell us? Go and fulfill the ministry of Christ in your life. I wrote this down. This is a thought that actually had me prepare this whole message. Here it is. It is very easy for us to forget that the place of pain and grief where we feel we have totally failed and are in the wrong standing with God is actually the place where you agree with it or not, is actually the place, whether you agree with it or not, where he is holding us together, allowing that present situation to do a work in us that will greatly transform us into his perfect image. Lord, why? Lord, I'm in, why am I in this? Lord, why am I going through this? Lord, why am I feeling this? Lord, why do I just feel like hiding? Why do I feel like just running? Why do I feel like just doing something very... Dr- why, Lord? Why, Lord? And then the Lord says, because I want to transform you into my image and you got to go through what you're going through and I have you, I have you what you're going through because I'm going to make you more like me in it. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. I suck. I failed you three times. But you know I love you good. I forgot about what you did in the courtyard. Go and do the ministry. Because Peter could have given a million excuses. I messed up so bad. But Jesus wasn't even looking at the failure. Jesus was He's like, no, my righteousness is now your righteousness. Go and do the good work. It's been imputed. It's been credited. It's yours, just like it was Abraham's. You're right where I want you. You're right where I need you. Right standing. You're right where I have you. Feeling condemned as if he disapproves of us, as if there is this lingering sentencing of death over us, is not his heart for his beloved. It's not his heart for his children. May, it may just be complete, the complete opposite today. It may be exactly the verse I read and I'll make it personal. For I made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. 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 I feel like God has spoke. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I have so much more scripture that I want to get into. But in Romans 9, maybe I should just read it and not necessarily preach it. And honor the Lord in, in the preaching. Let the word preach for itself. Let's just do that. Because this all began in my time with the Lord. <clears throat> I was reading Romans 9 this week. And it led me to this message that I'm preaching today. And I came across this part of, of chapter 9. And I'll just read it. It says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel... Pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, the rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Gentiles were not trying to what? To follow God's standards. Gentiles are who? Me and you, unless you're a full-out Jew here, but anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile. They were not trying to follow God's standards, but what is, what is Paul saying in Romans 9? But yet they were, made right, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that they were made right with God. It was by faith that this took place. You see, Israel, God's chosen people, listen to this. They tried so hard to get right with God. Do you know people that try so hard to get right with God? By doing what? By doing things like Israel did? By, by keeping the laws, by keeping traditions, by keeping rituals. And God says, yeah, all that stuff is good because hopefully you see that it's pointing to me. But, but none of that stuff saves you or imputes righteousness into you. Israel tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, but they couldn't. Why not? What does he say here? Because they tried to get right by keeping the law instead of living a life trusting him. Jesus stood before the religious leaders and they didn't recognize his face. Instead, they condemned him and they called him a worker of Satan. You must be casting out demons under Satan's name. He says, how can a kingdom divided against itself stand? Crazy. I don't work for Satan. They tried, but instead they couldn't trust him. The result is they continue to stumble over the great rock, the stumbling rock over Israel that is still the stumbling rock over Israel. Jesus, I've been to Israel. We've been to Israel. And Jesus' face is all over. Jesus' name is all over. They have tours all over Israel for Jesus. They have Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus leading the tours that know the word of God. More than Protestant Christians know the word of God. And yet, as they've learned and they've memorized the word of God, they still don't see him because he's a stumbling block to them. But we, 
We might not even know a drip of his word, which is not okay, but we might not even know a drip of his word. But he's made us right because there's something that's stirred in you called faith. And faith has made you well in right standing. Now get to know his word. I'm not trying to say, oh, that's my excuse. But that's the beauty of God. You don't need, like, the word became flesh. No, we have faith. It's about a heart transformation and they missed it. Romans 3 talks about this. We've all sinned. There's no one good. There's no one righteous. How can you say we have righteousness now? Paul is quoting Old Testament Psalm 14 scripture. Verses 1 through 3. And why is Paul saying what the psalmist said? No one is good. No one is righteous. So you can't come to me after service and say, But pastor, there's a scripture that says no one's good and no one's righteous. And you just preached the whole message. That you said we've been imputed with Christ's righteousness. You need to understand the context of that scripture. Paul is writing that what Psalm 14 wrote because he's proving that both Jews and Gentiles are guilty and are in need of salvation. He's proving it. But if you read verses 21 all the way to 31, it doesn't just stop. You can't just read a section of scripture and make that your truth. you got to read all the context because he doesn't just say there's no righteousness for you. We were at a place that there was no righteousness. But then we accepted and we received salvation that was given to us. And at the place of salvation, verse 21 through 34, one, Paul explains this now further. He says now at the place of salvation, there's a change. We now become the righteousness of God through faith. You, you were no good. You're right. You were of no righteousness. You're right. But when you came to the place of salvation, you now were imputed the righteousness of Jesus. I'll read it. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and he was including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus Christ. I'm right. I am right. I'm right. That should be the name. Of, I do this every Sunday. I change the name. I'm right. I am right. What do you mean you're right? I'm in right standing before God because of my belief in the Messiah. My belief in the Lord. Verse 27. Can we boast that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. None of us can boast. None of you. None of us. None of us can boast. He says what? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. 29, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God. He makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or whether they are Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we cannot forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Because then we understand that this whole law is the face of Jesus. is the person of Jesus. And I share in the righteousness of him. So now I obey the law because it points to the one who lives inside of me. Who's imputed righteousness in me. Who's imputed and credited me as righteousness. Galatians 2 speaks heavily over this topic as well. In Galatians 2 verse 21 it says this. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Righteousness was found in Jesus. Is found in Jesus. Will always be found in Jesus. Not in another group. Not in a party. Not in any other kind of sect. Any other kind of religion. It's in a person. And it's Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. That's what he's saying here. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there's no need for Christ, no need for Christ to die. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your death. 
Thank you, Lord, for your resurrection. We share this with you because of this now, because all of this now, I share in your righteousness. Thank you for righteousness in which was imputed to me, reminding me that I am in right standing before you, God. Right standing. You are right where he has you. Right where he, but, 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 no, shh, right where he has you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, join me in prayer. If you want to stand with me, just stand. If you want to stay seated, you can. It doesn't matter. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the righteousness that has been imputed into me, has been credited to me. Abraham's life was not just to fling it by, but it was also for my benefit, Scripture says. That through faith that was demonstrated through the father of faith. I can now receive and I'm credited the righteousness of God because of my faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Strengthen us here. Let us know our standing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to be sensitive to the word today and I want, if you feel God is calling you to respond, I want to give you the opportunity to respond but I'm not going to force any of you because this is the truth of the word and if the truth, the, the truth of his word can do it by itself. So I'm going to let the word do what the word needs to do. But if you feel like the word today is setting you free from condemnation, from guilt, from all these things and you just know that you need to come to the place of I just need to believe in him. Lord, I come before you and I receive the righteousness in my faith in you, Lord Jesus, I receive the righteousness of God through you and in you, Lord. And I just need that prayer today. I just, I just come and I ask for forgiveness because it has not run out. Lord, I, I thank you because I am exactly where you need me. I'm exactly where you want me and I am exactly where you have me. And if that's for you, here it is. The altar is open. We'll pray for you. Come up to the altar. Don't even think about it. You could start making your way up here. Let's sing one song here to the Lord. And if you need prayer in that, we're going to believe for his righteousness upon your life. We're going to believe. And we're just going to come in agreement with you. And believe what was spoken today. That the truth of this word just become truth in your life. In your own personal walk with God. We're just going to come in agreement. We're not going to supernaturally pray for anything. We're just going to come in agreement with the word today. And we're just going to today, Lord, specifically, this is enough, Lord. Your word, just let it blow up inside of them. Let this truth set them free. So if you need prayer in that, the altar is open. If not, let's go ahead and just sing a song. And then we'll close off and we'll get ready for our baptism. Let's go ahead and, and let's, sing, let's sing one last song to our Lord today. Hallelujah.